are recording, and you can go ahead and uh, you have to press play whenever you're ready. Well, we have to go back to the beginning. It is. I, it is. I moved it back. Yeah, all you have to do okay. is hit the button on the bottom, the space bar. Okay, so... Just hit the space bar, the button on the bottom. Space bar. Space bar. Space bar, right, right here. That's the space bar. Sorry. That's a button. <laughs> it's not back at the beginning. Now it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Crypticast. I am award-winning filmmaker Mark Ritchie, and this is my partner. Award-winning filmmaker Christian Stavrakis. And we are bringing to you our final, well, what we thought were our final two episodes of our Crypticast uh, Series 1, Hollywood in Post. This would be our episode 9 and 10. We agreed that we would do 10 episodes. Uh, but uh, we've actually received a, a lot of inquiries from other uh, independent filmmakers and uh, folks uh, in the Hollywood scene also who have asked us if they could be on the podcast. So it looks like we're probably going to add some bonus episodes between now and Christmas uh, for your listening pleasure, uh, all centered on uh, the uh, you know state of the current Hollywood paradigm and how it's affecting the independent film world, how, and and even so how it, it, it is affecting the Hollywood studio system because we have a, an upcoming interview with someone from Sony Pictures um, who's going to talk about uh, how Hollywood is dealing with this. But but right now, and the primary focus of our podcast was all about uh, centering on the issues faced by the independent film community. And today, who better to interview in a double episode, who better to interview than the king of independent filmmaking, Eduardo Sanchez, director of The Blair Witch Project. Uh, Eduardo Sanchez was born in Cuba in 68, and after a short time living in Spain, he eventually settled in the Washington, D.C. area uh, around 1972. In the mid-80s, Mr. Sanchez began developing his craft while attending Wheaton High School in Wheaton, Maryland. And in full disclosure, that's where Chris and I met Ed, uh, in high school he made films such as Shrimp Fried Vice and Pride in the Name of Love, amongst others, all of which starred his family and friends and sometimes Ed himself. And Chris, in fact, was in one of those. Um, after high school, Mr. Sanchez studied at Montgomery College, uh, where he continued to make movies, including uh, a film called Star Trek Demented. And then he later got accepted to the University of Central Florida, where he made Gabriel's Dream. But it wasn't until 1997 when he and a close friend named Daniel Myrick got together and started production on the psychological horror thriller The Blair Witch Project, which was to become the most successful movie, Budget to Gross, ever made, a title that that film maintained for about 10 years until Paranormal Activity came out. In 1999, Mr. Sanchez uh, was the joint recipient of the inaugural Independent Spirit John Cassavetes Award uh, and the NME Award for Best Film for his work on The Blair Witch Project. And since that time, Mr. Sanchez has directed numerous television and short film spots, as well as four other feature films, including Altered, Seventh Moon, Lovely Molly, and then most recently exists. He is married to his wife, Stephanie. Uh, they live in the greater Washington, D.C. area with their children, Bianca, Lucas, and Lennon. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we take you to our interview with Eduardo Sanchez. So uh, here we are in uh, scenic Frederick, Maryland, with our old buddy, uh, Eduardo Sanchez, co-director of the Blair Witch Project. He, uh, of course, has made several feature films, and uh, he knows better than anyone the problems facing uh, an indie filmmaker today. Uh, thanks for being with us, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Actually, before you begin, thank you for all that you do for indie filmmaking, particularly in the Maryland area. Well, I, I try, you know, I do what I can, but uh, yeah, I could always do more, but you know, it's just, you know, but, I, I just try to help out people. I don't, I haven't really done much, but I at least No, you've been very involved, even with the students at, at Montgomery College, which is one of your, you know, your yeah, former yeah. alma mater of, of, of sorts, and then um, I was just recently talking to a student who said, yes, I, I know who you're talking about. He came down and spoke to us at Imagination Stage Film Program, yes. and I thought, wow, this yeah. guy's all yeah, over the place. I do it's a lot, you know, I do talks. I mean, really, anybody who wants to... Hear me talk. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just go and do it. So. No, but it's 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 appreciated, and you know this podcast is sort of focused on you know helping the indie filmmaker and, and sharing what knowledge we have and yeah. sharing what knowledge you have being on the in the trenches. So, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the first uh, question is: since uh, the late '90s, since Blair Witch, and now between then and now, the whole film industry, the medium itself, the uh -huh. method of distribution, everything has changed. And it's constantly in a state of flux. What 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 would you consider the most uh, important differences between the way it used to be and the way it is now? 
Well, the, the, the budgets are bigger, and uh, there doesn't seem to be very much wiggle room for like low-budget movies anymore. Like There are a few places that still do that, but it's just like they have the, the, uh, the studios a few years ago. I, I heard about this. I'm not, you know, I don't know anybody, but I heard that they, that their whole big thing was that they wanted to reduce the amount of films that were in the theaters. Like they wanted to, you know, to monopolize the theatrical market, and uh, so that's why they've been, you know, they've been aiming for bigger and bigger movies. And it's hard. You know, it's it's almost impossible to get an indie film in the theaters these days. I mean, even movies that do really well at Sundance don't particularly do well when they come out in you know theatrical and it's never they never give them you know as much marketing as the studio movies and it's understandable because those are acquisitions and you know uh it's very few times when studios really kind of you know blow their wad on on an acquisition you know and and then the old days when we did Blair Witch there was still this you know the the Miramax model was still kind of around and uh there was companies like Artisan and and Focus which Focus is still around but I'm not sure how many small movies they do anymore, but so there's this kind of uh, kind of movement toward bigger budgets and you know tentpole films from by the from the studios, and uh, and then the collapse of the video market in 2008 is really what's changed things, you know. Um, so now it's like you, it's just very hard to make any money on a movie that doesn't have at least some theatrical. Um, it affects your foreign it affects you know how much money they're going to put into your you know into marketing your film overseas so you know it, it, so everything's kind of changed i mean the digital revolution has kind of changed but and at the same time though it's it just kind of has bit has brought the tools of filmmaking are kind of available to everybody these days you know so there is this kind of you know revolution of like just kids picking up you know their iPhones and doing films and you know and some of them you know doing special little films that have incredible special effects and then they get deals so there is like there are new ways to get into the machine um but elite but at the same time there's so much more clutter out there because everybody is making films that's, so yeah that, how do you makes, surface to how does the cream yeah, how, to yeah. How, how do you market it and that's the problem is that like you can find as we as you guys were, were talking about this, you can find people to, to distribute your films but they're not gonna they're gonna put up money into marketing it's basically up to you and then you know like you were saying once you get into a distributor most of the time you're not you're you know as a low budget filmmaker you're not gonna make any money i mean they're not gonna give yeah. you they're not gonna give you an advance they're not gonna give you anything you know yeah the most you can hope for is exposure yeah exposure Exposure, and then if the movie blows up, maybe they'll give you. I don't know. You know, there's some. There are some honest people out there. You want to think um, they'll give you. You know, the money you deserve. But most of the time, you know, the, at least the the low budget filmmakers that I've known, you know, they've just been gotten just you know ripped off by their distributors, and that's just kind of the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah, that is sad but true. Um, I want to talk to you guys. I want to talk to you about economics since we're on this topic of, of funding and money. And there was a quote that I wanted to bring up that uh, from an interview that you did with Bloody Disgusting where you said the whole idea of Blair Witch was an idea based on economics. We had no money, and I think the problem now would be that if we had access to money, we just wouldn't do it the same way. We'd probably fuck it up somehow. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because that's because, you know, as you guys know, like there is this, um, you know, you, you, you with low-budget filmmaking or no-budget filmmaking, you got to fucking Stretch. pull up your socks yeah. and get your, you know, the bootstraps, and you have to, like, do it yourself, man. Like guerrilla um, filmmaking at it. Yeah. yeah so so that you know so it leads a lot to a lot of innovation because you don't have, you know, the crane to, you know, lift your camera and you know, and now people have drones which is really cool. But um, you know, so 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 you just kinda have to, you know, uh it sort of ingen forces you ingenuity yeah. is the is the name of the game when you know. And uh so yeah, I think that if we had gotten I mean if we had gotten money for you know, at least a decent amount of money for Blair Witch, I mean obviously we would have shot a different format. Um, and then we would have we would have done something at the end to like some kind of special effects extravaganza or something that would have ruined the whole yeah, freaking movie. So uh, yeah, I mean you know that's that's part of the game. Is part of the game is just trying to do with with without you know without the tools that Hollywood has. At what point did, along these same lines? At what point did I mean Chris and I we funded Mortal ourselves at what point did you guys decide we're going to do this we're going to fund it ourselves i mean if i'm not mistaken you put a lot of this on credit cards you tried to make it happen without a lot of investor well we we know. well we went down the road of investors you know because that because you know we're naive and you know we're like oh we got a great idea and we're going to do this cool pitch video and then 
you know, we're going to get the 20,000 or whatever it was that we were trying to raise, but nobody, <laughs> nobody gave us any money. I mean, the, so it was just a, you know, really it was a matter of, it was a matter of Greg Hale, our, one of our producers who had a little bit of money saved up and he loved the idea so much that he kind of told Dan and me to, you know, let's just start casting it. Let's start, you know, making, doing some trips to New York. And, um, and that's when we started, you know, doing our first round of, of casting and then really when the ha- what happened was just it was just straight out luck is that we happened to hook up with this guy named John Pearson and Dan Dan Myrick my partner had done some camera work for him so he sent him a tape of our, our investor reel basically which laid out the you know the footage and all that stuff but this was before we shot anything mm-hmm. and he flipped out over it he was like oh my god i love this and he had a he had a small program on on bravo called split screen and he said, "All right, I'm going to do a, a season finale of of your show, of your movie, you know, of your reel. I'm going to put your reel on, and then we were we were going to shoot it that October. So then during the off time, you guys will shoot the movie, and then we'll come back in March on the new season, and you'll you'll do you'll edit a new little piece with the new footage. That's great. And I'll pay you up front for both shows. So that was the biggest investment, you know. And it wasn't really an investment; he just paid us." So that without that money, I don't know what would have happened because that was the you know that's like half it was like half the budget at that point you mm-hmm. know so that really kind of made it possible to get going and then Rob Cowie our other the 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 guy who was raising the money he started getting a little bit of interest and stuff so um, you know it's always a struggle but without John Pearson we you know I don't know what would have happened because because you know we we were gonna we, we did put a lot of stuff on credit cards but. We couldn't have put that much. We sure, didn't have. Sure. We didn't have that much. <laughs> Riding the college debt. Yeah, it was just yeah. You know, so, so yeah, you're you're always kind of looking for that that money and 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 you know and miraculously we found it. You know, and that's just hitting the pavement. It's pounding the pavement, and you know what I mean. Keeping your fingers crossed, and and in our podcast, that's what we've been talking about with any filmmakers. You can't give up just because the funding's not there. You've no. got to get creative. You got to get yeah. innovative. You, if you love the craft, you've got to continue to pursue. But it. obviously, you have to have something to show to show that you have the ability to do this and an idea. I mean, at least they had a. a, a... A uh, proof of concept and a pitch. It yes. wasn't just you know an idea on paper. Yeah, and we, and we had a good idea. I mean, it was one of these ideas that like really, um, you know, we pitched it and people like got it. People understood it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't lack of enthusiasm. It's just really hard to make, get people to sign checks to you to make films. I yeah. mean, even 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 nowadays, it's just you know it's, because the the ROI is so small. It's so minimal unless you're talking a big budget film. Well, and even and even that, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's like most films. Lose money. Yeah. It's just, it's just the nature it, of the business. The, yeah. So, but it's no different. In, I mean, I, I do a lot of work in the theatrical industry as well, and it's no different. I mean, people just throwing money at a project. They don't. I mean, not I mean, you know, I mean, look. When it comes down to it, it's art. You know, there's a certain, you know, there's a certain satisfaction and a certain uh, love that people have for this thing. And you know, sometimes people will be like, you know, I know I'm going to lose all my money, but I love this idea and I love these guys or I love you know the people that are doing it, and I'm just going to put some money in. So you just have to find you know that kind of support. Do you, yeah. We just coined a phrase yesterday, the, the art and soul of Hollywood. Do you think Hollywood has sort of lost its art and soul? Um, or are there still filmmakers out there who are, you know, even with their hands tied behind their backs by the studios who are making the next star, three Star Wars films, these guys still love the craft. Yeah. They want to make the best film possible. Absolutely. You know? There's still great films being made, yeah. you know? You know, a lot of the Oscar nominees are, you know, they're really good films. There's still really great filmmakers out there and, and, you know, doing it with studios. But I think that there's, you know, Netflix and Amazon and, you know, those kinds of places have... Changing the dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Have, have brought, they, you know, it seems like Netflix, you know, and I don't know anything too much about Netflix, but it seems like they have money and the same thing with Amazon. So they seem to um, trust the filmmakers more than the yeah, studio yeah, yeah. people. Maybe a little more willing to risk. Yes. I mean, like, you know, like a movie, like a show like Stranger Things, it's like, you know, they, I think they shop that everywhere. And you can tell why, okay, that who the hell is going to make a movie, a, a show about kids growing up in the 80s and all this, you know what I'm saying? Like this nostalgic E.T., you know, kind well, now, of... Well, now Spielberg wants to do it. Yeah. He thinks he can do it better. Yeah, know? well, yeah, but, of course. I mean, you know, but, that's that's where that's who started it, you know? So, but it was just kind of unheard of to kind of, you know, um, for that, unless you're J.J. Abrams who did it with Super 8, you know, but you have right, to be yeah. like the basically the top filmmaker in the world, yeah. one of the top <laughs> filmmakers in the world. To have the kind of leverage to do that, yeah, you know, most other filmmakers like me don't have that, you know, that luxury, you know. 
give any look, man. There's still great filmmakers out there, and I think people, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of do the Hollywood thing and then do their own thing. You know, you got to make a living, you got to pay the mortgage, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, and I think that's what, you know, like movies like La La Land, you know, no matter what you think of it, you know, there's like, there's these kind of refreshing kind of experiments that get financed every once in a while. Um, end up paying but, off, yeah. Yeah, end up paying off. But, you know, that's, but for every La La Land, you know, there's a hundred other La La Lands that never, never see the anything, you know, so. But that, that um, what's interesting is that you, for, for better or worse, you have made your mark on movie history just by virtue of. Uh, how much money Blair Witch made? It, it was like what the biggest return on investment until Paranormal Activity. Yeah. It was the highest grossing and, return yeah. on investment. And even <laughs> even with that on your resume, you still have a hell of a time trying to get a, a feature made. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, because you know, I mean, my my career is kind of unique because um, we we came out of nowhere. You know, it's ninety nine, and we made this film. You know, we it blew up, man. I mean, it's just you know, you guys know it, freaking. It was just beyond anything that anybody had ever experienced. Like, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, you know, and it was lightning that, I mean, you know, you, we were always like, oh, man, it'd be great to have like an El, Mar El Mariachi success or a clerk success, which was, you know, I mean, I don't know how much the advance for clerks was, but it could have been more than, a, you know, half a million dollars or something, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. So that was for us was like, oh, my God, that's a fantasy because no, you know, no, no film had ever, you know, been made for that low amount of money and made, you know, actually competed with. With Hollywood, because, you know, no matter what you love about Clerks or El Mariachi or even, you know, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, those Sundance films that came out and kind of did huge, they never competed with Hollywood films. I mean, you know, they were always, you know, art house kind of mm -hmm. releases. So Blair Witch comes along and kind of just does this. And then, you know, for us, it was like, you know, we're filmmakers and I think we have a certain amount of talent and we have a certain amount of ambition. But this explosion was just like... You know, all of us had to kind of deal it in, dif with, in different ways. And and the fact that Blair Witch had made us a lot of money because our, you know, our deal that we signed was a good deal because they never, you know, they never imagined the movie was going to make that much money. So they gave us all this money on the, you know, on the, the on the, the upper end. end. Oh, like, okay, if it makes more than 20 million, you guys get all. And they were like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, we'll sign that. You know, you know we're never going to pay out. And then they had to pay out, so we had money. So we didn't, you know, a lot of independent filmmakers when they had for, when they first have their success, they don't make any money, and they, you know, they take advantage of okay, I got to make another money, I got a yeah. you know, movie, I got to make, you know, I got to, you know, pay the bills or whatever. For us, it was different. We had money, and uh, so we didn't have to take any of the crappy scripts they were sending us. <laughs> um, and then, and also, Dan and I were have never, and or Greg and Rob and Mike, all the kind of the the initial guys that were at Hacks, and we were never considered ourselves horror filmmakers. Like, I mean, you know, you knew me from high school. Yeah, like, yeah. I, we never made, I never made horror movies. I mean, I, I love horror movies, but I loved, you know, we were always doing action movies. And mm -hmm. in high school, I do, you know, I was doing Miami Vice. Shrimp Fried Shrimp yeah. Fried Vice. I mean, you know. <laughs> that was about as violent as it got. Yeah. yeah. And we were, and you know, and the, at the time, you know, like we tried to do that Stand By Me kind of rip off movie. That falling Down a Mountain. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of, you know, our thing. We we're like, you know, that we were kind of dealing, you know, we were in high school and we we're like, okay, what's huge right now? Oh, we love Stand By Me. Let's yeah. do a movie that, you know, kind of, you know. Uh, we should finish that one. We should, man. It's like there's like a there's like a thirty year gap. Like when you guys go into a time warp, time warp, there you and go. You come out. Um, actually, Blake. I mean, Blake is still Blake Bilstad is still. I mean, on, I I know on Facebook he's still one of my friends. And yeah, and he comes to all the reunions. You know, very. Good. He lives in San Diego, I think. Wow. So yeah, we should do it. But so anyway, that was kind of what we were doing. So when Hollywood said, "Hey, what else do you have?" You know, Dan and I were like, "Well, we have this comedy." And people were like, you know, what the hell are you talking you about? So pigeonholed. Wow. Yeah, and you know, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, you know, we expected that, but I think that the lack of, you know, and for us, it was like Blair Witch was like, you know, it was not, it was not a walk in the park. Like, you know, you guys know how it is. It's like you're struggling, you know, every minute of every day to make your bills, and you're dealing with your, pri you know, your private life, your your personal life. You know, your you you have pressures. Um, all around you to kind of like, you know, get your act together and get a real job and make money and buy the house. And yeah. so... Um, Did you feed the cat this morning? Yeah. And, 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 even, and even for myself, I mean, I was in my late 20s. Like I was like, oh, you know, all my friends were, you know, getting cars and, you know, living a normal, you know, having normal jobs. And I was still, you know, making minimum wage and just trying to scrape this dream together. Yeah. So there was a lot of distractions at the time after Blair Witch. And I think both Dan and me and, you know, we just, as, and I, mean, I can only speak for myself, but 
I just kind of needed to get away for a little while. And I think that if we would have taken like six months off and then come back, I think we it would have been a little different situation. But we kind of decided to power through. We started production on this you know, development on this movie called Heart of Love and we wrote it and we got money from Artisan and, but it was just not, it was just not the right thing. You know, Dan and I, you know, were having just issues, the partnership. I mean, the partnership was going well, but you know, it was all of us, you know, we never expected this success. So Mm -hmm. everybody was kind of going on a different direction and Dan and I just couldn't, um, we were having a lot of difficulties just collaborating on, on Heart of Love. And instead of like, you know, instead of saying, okay, look, let's just go our separate ways, you know, still make hacks and films, but you direct the film and I direct, you know, my own film. Um, we kind of wanted to stick together as a directing team. And I think that was probably a mistake. Hmm. Um, so, but you know, now, you know, almost 20 years later, you know, I took so much time off from Blair Witch to Altered that, Altered um, came out in in two thousand five, I think, or two thousand six. Uh, we, I think, we, two thousand five. So, so about a six seven year period. Yeah. Right? So, and, and also, it was just a, a period for me where I just didn't want to make a horror film. I just did not find anything like inspiring. And um, but of and course, then, that's what everyone expected you to do. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and that's what Hollywood, you know, the, our agents and our agents, you know, I, I feel, you know, I don't feel bad for them because they made a lot of money off of us. But <laughs> it was must have been so frustrating for them to like have these guys that could literally. I mean, we could have signed a you know a multiple picture deal. We could have signed. We could have gotten probably our own, you know, like indie label to start producing films. I mean, you know, there were opportunities. Yeah, there yeah. were huge opportunities, but. I think, you know, being, you know, young and naive and also not having, we didn't have like, you know, we didn't have like our Ben Kenobi, you know, we didn't have like our Sage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We thought we, we thought we had some people around us, but in the end they had no idea. They had, you know, less of an idea about what they were doing than we did sometimes. So it became something where, um, we just let all these opportunities kind of go because we were like, oh, you know, when we when I come back in three years, I'll be able to hop right back into a twenty five million dollar horror movie. It's no problem. So Hollywood attention span is very yeah, short. and, and yeah, I think uh, and I think George Clooney said something where you know years ago, and I think it's George Clooney. It could be I could be completely wrong, but he said you know somebody asked him like, why are you always working? And he said because when you stop working, Hollywood start immediately starts to take your toys away from you. You know, and that's true. It's the mm-hmm. same thing in the music business. Like people are like, "Oh, where have you been?" Well, I just took a couple of years off. I mean, hey, you're done. I'm allowed yeah. to just you know chill <laughs> a little life. bit, right? Yeah. So, and also, you know, a lot of for me was like, I just don't like the LA scene. Like, I like people in LA. I think they're you know, there's some bad people. There's great people. I have a lot of friends in LA, but I just did not like LA. I didn't like smoozing. I didn't like like just just like I, the the, the, the fakeness yeah. of the meetings. Yeah. yeah. And also, it was just a, it was a certain amount of, you know, lack of discipline on my part because, you know, you have this, you know, you have money in your account that you never thought you would ever have in your bank account and you're getting married and I'm having kids and I'm buying a house and I'm buying, you know, not extravagant cars, but actual nice cars that, I, you know, not that work, not, yeah. bottom, <laughs> not, not like, you know, you're not going to the dealer and saying, what do you got at the bottom? Like, give me the bottom <laughs> of the barrel like that, you know. Um, so I was enjoying life, you know. Took a, you know, a nice honeymoon and, you know, had a nice wedding and, you know, did all this stuff and uh, started a family. And uh, and I was just kind of distracted for a while. And then when I got back, when I found Probed, which ended up being altered, I just, that script just kind of blew me away and it kind of recharged my batteries and, and really the, the company had kind of, we still had Haxon, but it had kind of disbanded like Rob and you know, no, nobody was working together anymore. So I, th- I sent the script to Greg and you know, I said, you know, I need a, we need a producer and Greg sent it to Rob and Rob said, yeah, I think I can raise the money for this. And that's kind of, and then Mike, Dan was already in LA doing his own thing, trying to develop his own thing. So he wasn't involved, but Mike came in and did some, marketing for us and stuff so it was kind of getting the band back together minus dan but then you know we hit the realities of hollywood where it's like you know you don't you don't get to make a quirky film you anymore. know anymore yeah. you know you don't get to make those movies and or those movies you have to make them for a certain budget and you have to 
or we have to get them with the right company and stuff. And I think Focus, you know, uh, Focus bought Altered once we had finished shooting. And what the hell was the name of their genre division? That's... Was it Focus Pictures, right? It was, it was Focus, but they had... Uh, Focus Features. Focus but features, what the hell right, was right. the company? Yeah, Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Rogue, Rogue. Anyway, Rogue was like their, their, like, you know, their dimension. That was their genre division. Their yeah. genre division. And um, by the time that we had finished the film, the people that had bought the film, a lot of them had moved on. So there was no champion. And then they saw this movie and they are like, what is this movie? It's not really a horror movie. It's sort of a old kind of 80s style it, had, it has yeah. very little CGI, you know, this and that or whatever. And they just didn't like it. And they just didn't know how to market it. Um, and then they released a movie called Slither, which was in the same kind of, you know, general ballpark as Altered. And it tanked. <laughs> so immediate, once once that movie came out and tanked, they were like, ah, oh, we're going to go, you know, we're going to send Altered straight to DVD. We can't, you know, risk or whatever. And we were really disappointed, but... We understood the economics of it. You know, you can't have, you know, they, they knew they had, you know, it, was, it just wasn't the right time for that movie. And that movie, you know, has gotten a cult following. And, you know, we're all, everybody who worked on that movie is very proud of it. Chris was worked on it and we, you know, we had very a great, proud. had a great time doing it. Yeah. A lot and of I, folks we talked to are like, oh, you know, Ed, can yeah, you sign us an Altered yeah, DVD a of, yeah, a lot of people love Altered. <laughs> and I, you know, and I love Altered too. You know, I think it's a fun movie. But I think that, so, so we were just kind of, you know, it, reality kind of hit us in the face or it was like, okay, we just went from like the most profitable, you know, film of all time to a movie that, you know, went straight to DVD and everybody made their money back on Altered. I mean, it was, you know, it was actually a pretty successful movie for being shit out with no marketing. Yeah. Um, but suddenly it, they're writing articles about whatever happened to the guys that made Blair Witch. Yeah, and they did, and they and Alter did a, a, so a couple theatrical runs in overseas and it did well, whatever, but it's like, you know, so that that reality was like, whoa! You know, this is not the same. Changing. This is not you know the same Hollywood. No, well, also it's you know, and it was not that it was the the same. It's just I think we had like a preconception that just wasn't around anymore that we could make, and we and we still have. You know, we haven't had very much success with our films because we we've tried to kind of um, you know we try to do some quirky stuff. We try to do some unique stuff. You know, we don't want to do the same horror movies that everybody is, is releasing but it's just very difficult to do that it's just very difficult to 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 get any kind of momentum um around those kinds of things unless they're like really really incredibly great um so you know i mean it's it, it, to, to me it's like you know i always think like man you know what would have happened if i you know we would have gone you know made a film right afterwards and even if it hadn't made any money it would have, we would at least be, at least have been in the studio system and who the hell knows there's you know there's a lot of filmmakers out there that make their first big movie and then don't do anything just but they continue to direct movies just not you know in the Hollywood system but they're just not big hits but somehow they get they continue to make movies so you know you know what are you gonna do but it's even like, so yeah, yeah and, I'm, and I'm very happy where I'm at I'm you know I'm uh, I still ha I still direct for a living and I think uh, we still are you know Greg and I are still partners and we are uh, we had the best year last year that we've had since Blair Witch and this year I think it's gonna be really good too nice. so just a matter of, you know, perspective and, you know, making a living and, uh, you know, and continue to pay your bills and just stay, like, happy, you know. Yeah. Well, but even even so, after Altered came out, within two, three years of that is when the, the DVD uh, market collapses and Hollywood starts to rely on, you know, foreign markets for their income because they're kind of given up on the U.S. And, and we got these cookie-cutter films because they need to translate to a foreign audience and so forth. Yeah. And then, but you're still producing. I mean, not still so trying to. That, yes, absolutely. You know, you yeah, should, yeah. Soon after that, you had a, a series of features. I mean, you did Lovely Molly, and then subsequently, recently exists. Yeah. But, but and Seventh Moon. Talk a little bit about yeah. and Seventh Moon. Talk a little bit about you know the journey during that period when you're knocking out features, but at the same time, Hollywood doesn't know what's going on. They're they're flabbergasted. Well, it was it, you know caught was, off guard. Yeah, right? it was. A, I mean, Seventh Moon is especially tough for us and I think that we re we barely got out of that one alive as like a as like a production team or as like producers and you know as a creative team because Seventh Moon you know right when we were about to go to market is when, is when the video market collapsed so you know we had we had you know one of the best sales agents uh, you know in the world working for the film he loved the film 
and and on both sides, foreign and domestic. You know, we had great guys, you know, representing our film, but the market fell apart. And you know, overnight, you know, our guy was saying, you know, the the you know the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar advance has turned into a twenty five thousand dollar advance, <laughs> and the hundred thousand has turned into a ten thousand dollar advance. So like overnight, so. Um, that movie really, like, you know, really they killed us. Like, it was just a, you know, morally we were just kind of like, oh, my God, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into and this and that. And we barely got out of that one, you know. We, you know, we we, we were kind of scrambling to see what the hell we were going to do after that. So, so, so you know, that, that's, it's, it's always like this, you know, these, even after Altered, I was always like, now what am I going to do? You know, like, is anybody going to ever give me money to make another movie again? You know, and you kind of, you know, you kind of, I, I got, you know, you get depressed and, you know, uh, you just go through all these kind of issues. And you get to the point where, like, as far as I'm concerned, is that you get to the point where you're like, you know, should I even be making feature films? You know, I mean, I, I know I'm talented, but maybe I should be doing something else. And also, like, you know, like we were, Chris and I were talking about, is that I never, I never wanted to make horror films like why don't I go and do comedies or do action films like I you know like I always wanted to make film you know those but recently you know in the last really after seventh moon at least for me there was like this level of like just got just get your shit together you know like like get your act together and figure out where you belong you know maybe you're not like the next Scorsese but could you be uh, you know a Kevin Smith or could you be a guy that just directs that does television and does movies every once you know and does it continues to make a living. That was my big thing. By that time, I had two kids, and it's just like, okay, I gotta, you know, we gotta keep. You got a family. To I got a family of support, and you know, the Blair Witch money is good, but it's not, you know, you still, I still need to make a living. So there was this level of just like, okay, I gotta get my shit together, and that's, and that's when I decided, you know, when Lovely Molly came along, and I kind of just like submerged myself in that movie, and it was a really painful experience because it wasn't, you know, I knew that I had to do it, and I knew that I had to kind of get like put my vision up on the screen it was a and it was very it wasn't like altered or seventh moon where even though i wrote most of seventh moon altered was mostly jamie nash with you know a lot of input from me and greg and the other guys but um seventh moon was really a collaboration between me and me and jamie but molly was mostly me so it was just kind of my you know attempt to like justify my existence as a filmmaker you know and i don't and but it was a really difficult process, and I got I went through some really bad depression, and it was after that movie where I decided to get some help, and and now I'm on medication, and I for the last six or seven years, and I feel or a lot or five years probably I feel a lot better about you know just everything. But there was a certain point there where, especially after Seventh Moon, where I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to make any more movies. I don't think I'm, I mean, and I and I was like, I, you can ask my wife, Steph that you know i was like fantasizing about working at target because it's like i just want to go somewhere and somebody <laughs> tell me what to do because yeah, right. i'm like lost you know i remember and, some of the emails back then that you were just you yeah know, and, and you know and, and all and my you know all my close friends especially filmmaker friends like saw that you know saw how you know down i was yeah and and i know you you know people like you got you know you guys you always you know you always helped me always had encouraging words and and I really appreciated that because there was a lot of people like that. Um, and then Molly came out and, you know, it wasn't a huge success, but it was kind of a critical, you know, it, it kind of got me back on the radar. I think it kind of showed people that, you know, I did have something to say in the horror genre. And I, and somewhere along that, that period, time period, I learned, I really enjoy, I learned that I really enjoyed making horror movies. Like I really kind of, you know, I'm getting better at them. And it was just something where it was like a skill that I hadn't really, you know, honed. Right. And I... You know, I got a chance to do it. So it was kind of a, even though Molly was, you know, went to Toronto and had a big premiere and, you know, it was a very kind of successful film for like in the horror genre. It didn't, you know, cross into the mainstream, but it's still kind of, you know, it just, it, it, for me for a while, I was like, all right, at least I can, I deserve to be at the same table as, you know, sure. same room as these, you know, as everybody making films. You know, I'm, I'm as good as a lot of these people. Would you consider Molly... I, I think it is, but would you consider probably your most personal film uh, to date? Yeah, absolutely. Even though, like, I've never really gone through, you know, what obviously, I mean, I don't think many people have gone through what, what happened to Molly, right. but, like, the idea, yeah, it was, because it was, like, it was it was the, you know, the, the, the only film I've done, 
since uh, probably before Blair Witch that I wrote, I directed it, and I edited it. Yeah. So it was, you know, the there was like I was putting all the responsibility on my shoulders, you know, and I was and I was kind of like doing that for a, for a reason because I wanted to kind of prove myself. Like I remember even when you were editing, you were like not happy. Oh you know, my god, recut it. No, I mean it was it was a disaster, and also I I you know like. After I directed it, it took me a long time to even just get back into to to actually get to editing again. You know, um, I procrastinated a lot, and it was and it was just that I was scared. You know, I was yeah. like, okay, I think I have a good film, but now I have to like actually make it make it happen. <laughs> and uh, so you know, but you know, but I think so. I think that that kind of lovely Molly kind of saved me. Um, and you know, now like I'm not being as aggressive as I you know, could be in trying to get feature films made, but I do have a few in the pipeline. I have one in Blumhouse that we're going out to actors now. So that should happen this year. And it's got a lot of momentum. Um, and then we have, you know, several scripts that are being shopped and other projects. So there's still, you know, there's still this like $3 million level that, that I'm still a viable director hmm. at that level. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. You know, it's not many people that can get to make features. So, you know, I, I'm very content where I am right now, but now, you know, once, you know, hopefully something will, you know, uh, get a, make a little, do a little business and then I'll be able to kind of move on or, you know, choose, you know, other projects or push some of my personal projects. Um, but right now I'm just happy kind of doing my directing gigs and doing, uh, you know, a feature whenever I can. Um, and you know, and like you're, like you were saying, just trying to trying to develop, trying to develop um, some kind of film making um, machinery here locally where I live, because you know, without the, we don't have tax incentives in Maryland, so it's impossible to bring any projects here. Um, but there's got to be a way to do it. So you know, I have some people uh, in the area who are. You know, we're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get these films financed, and and not just my films, but you know, the the dream would be to get, you know, uh, you know, five or six, you know, lower budget films going at the same time. Well, you shot Molly locally and you got a lot of help from the community. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. It's like when I make a film here, people, you know, everybody comes out of the woodwork to help me. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, and I, and I really gain, I gain a lot of energy from that. You know how it is. Like when you get people like, oh, enthusiastic about your work and yeah. like really, it really helps, <laughs> sure, man, you know? It certainly um, helped with Mortal. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it, you know, even, you know, and on Molly, we were paying people, you know, we weren't paying people a lot, but we were paying people. Um, you know, there was this enthusiasm, you know, for the film that, you know, that I really appreciated, you know? And uh, so, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the, the key is just trying to keep, um, you know, just, just trying to keep expectations realistic and learn the business and just try to fit in where you where you can fit, you know. And I and I'm and I fortunately enough had you know have Blair Witch, which everybody knows. It's like one of the most you know, it's just this crazy film that everybody knows about. Even people who haven't seen it know about it and um it's kind of still in the zeitgeist. You yeah, know? yeah. There's still people talking about it and, you know, whatever. So I'm just I just feel really fortunate that, you know, the one movie that did that I did that did blow up is still, you know, still kind of Oh, we'll always know, be remembered. pushing a little, pushing my, you know, my sure, my yeah. career along a little bit. All the time. Um, and I think mental, also you know? that Molly probably is the, the biggest step in overcoming the stigma of Blair Witch, which is that oh, these guys that they shoot only found footage, yes, and it's only you know the handheld camera and it was the marketing and they didn't really they weren't really filmmakers and that was that yeah dogged you for a while yeah yeah and then, you know and obviously I think people you know I mean people talk shit you know regardless of where you are you know. I talk shit too, you know. There's, there's, you know, I mean, f f filmmaking is a, you know, like we're all very, like, uh, you know, delicate. You know, our egos are very delicate, and you know, it's hard to, you know, it's it is difficult when when your film is not received the way you, thought, you know, you think it should be received because you know, you guys know how it feels. Like you, you know, it's your baby. Like you put a lot of energy into it. Yeah. And uh, and when you kind of come back and say, oh man, it didn't really do exactly what we wanted it to do. There's always disappointing, you know. So. You know, there, there's always that kind of energy to fight, but you know, you have to kind of just get beyond that and um, and do what you got to do. But yeah, I think Molly, you know, validated me, you know, to a lot of people, and uh, you know, and it's just a matter of just continuing to to get better and continuing to get up, you know, at bats, and um, and you know, maybe one day I can, you know, get back and and you know, have a hit film again. But it's not really for us. It's not like for Greg and me. It's not really part of the of the of the plan anymore. Like it's kind of like a B plan 
Um, because now, and you know, this is kind of in, you know a, a segue into like what's really happening is that TV is kind of taking over the slack that that theatrical that films are that the indie market of films has kind of mm-hmm. you know, dropped. Because a lot of people that used to work on indie films are now doing television because that's, you know, it's just, the, you can tell diff- you can tell stories, you can tell your stories, you get, the financing is still good, you can make a living, which is, you know, obviously very important. Um, and they're just taking more risks on television now yeah. than, than on film. Not just indie directors either. I mean, it's, Annie just worked on a, a, a series, I think it's a Netflix series called Mindhunter that David Fincher is directing. He's oh, been yeah. shooting in Pittsburgh for months. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, you know, and it's not and it's not yeah. I mean, you know, the the but but that model has existed for a long time. I mean, you know, whenever, you know, Scorsese's done TV, you know, uh-huh. uh, I remember Oliver, remember Oliver Stone did that Wild Wild Palm. Palms, yeah. Um so that's, you know, Spielberg obviously is always, you know, anytime you have theatrical kind of, you know, um success, they you know, you always get tapped to do a TV show, but now it's like that's still existing, but at the same time there's this whole new you know, like Stranger Things and like all these shows that people are literally upstart filmmakers are getting a chance to do series. Yeah. And it's just a really exciting time, man, because it's just like, you know, you're not stuck in that wall, you know, you're not, you're not, not stuck in that box. I mean, how did you get over the stick? We all grew up in the eighties. The stigma in the eighties was TV. Oh, yeah. never. Yeah. How did you get over that? TV I'm was, trying to get him over that. TV was like, TV was <laughs> slumming it, man. I mean, you know, like, like, like when a, when a movie star went back to TV, that was that like, was oh, you're done, yeah. you're done man. You had to go back to TV. Yeah. Absolute toast. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think that, that um, you know, TV's opened up is because of cable and because of, you know, the digital streaming and stuff. And it shows just, like The Sopranos where you could do the language and the violence. And you yes, and, and, you know, and really HBO is the one that, like, really kind of showed so, us yeah. early on that, like, wow, man, you could do some, you know, you can do some stuff in TV that's better than than the film in the film you know yeah so you know so it's just there's just so much there's so many you know channels out there and so many networks you know and back in the day it was only three so it was a kind of very exclusive thing and there's there was film and then there was tv and they rarely mixed but now it's just a lot more you know a lot of the a lot of the actors that aren't getting the great roles in film are switching to TV because, you know, they just get a, you know, you know, as an actor, as a director, it's like, it's all about the material. So if you get a feature film and you're like, oh my God, I'm, you know, especially as an actor, like, like I'm using like Billy Bob Thornton as an example. Like he said that he was getting roles, but it was just kind of the same shit. And it was just, you know, nothing kind of supporting and he wasn't really making, you know, getting the roles he wanted. And, you know, he got an opportunity to work on Fargo and I was like, holy shit, he's a great character and I can you know, I don't know how many episodes, 10 episodes or whatever, you know, it's like, that's an actor's dream to be able to live in, first of all, steady work. And then secondly, just a character that you can kind of develop. Yeah. Develop. And you can inhabit that character for, you know, months at a time as you shoot. Um, And, you know, over, over many more hours than a feature film. And and now you can do it and it does not affect, it only enhances your feature career. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Matthew McConaughey, I'm thinking when he did. uh, True Detective. Detective. Oh, absolutely. And and, and all of, and all of, you know, that's what I really love about it is that, you know, and you see a lot of these, you know, stars just going back and forth, which I think is great. Um, So, you know, for the, for the first time, you know, and that's what the whole thing is like, even now, like there are very few network, you know, the big four or three or whatever you want to call it. there's very few big network shows that i that i watch that i really like love um because the networks have to you know gear for this huge lowest common yeah, audience yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so they're just limited by that but i love the idea of like hbo and showtime and cinemax and stars and netflix, um, netflix mm-hmm. and amazon and all these people that are kind of bringing you know just kind of giving you know, well, to go indie from, filmmakers a chance, you know, to, to, to get out there and, and tell their story. Yeah, to go from one extreme to the other, we've been talking in this podcast about Robert Rodriguez. Right. And he wrote Rebel Without a Crew, which at the time, he it, he was making El Mariachi himself. And, and said, well, how many crew do you have? It was me, you know, with a VHS camera. He shot it in Mexico on VHS with one of his, you know, childhood friends helping him. And that was about it. And yeah. everyone just kind of did it for free because it was... And now, 20 years later... He owns a network. The El Rey Network is, is Robert Rodriguez's <laughs> channel. He can show whatever he wants. He can show his movies all he wants. He can show whatever other catalog stuff he has access to. But he's doing a Dust Till Dawn series. You've directed several episodes of that. Mm-hmm. That's pro- I guess he's probably the exception. 
No, because well, I mean, you've got other companies that do. You got Shutter TV. I think there's a Horror TV. There's Crypt yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. There's well, I mean, I think Robert is you know the exception because you know he's just a very unique kind of personality and filmmaker. You know, he came up right at the at the right time. You know, and he has really you know you know he's kind of kept his independence, but he's also worked the studio system to his advantage. Um, and he's just a smart guy who has good instincts. Um, so, but yeah, but there's, but there, you know, and, and and I don't know what El Rey is doing now. I'm not sure how well it's doing because it is, you know, as Oprah found out, it's really, it's really difficult, you know, doing your, <laughs> having your own network. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what, I know Dusk has not been officially canceled, but I don't even know if it's been officially canceled, but I know they released the, 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 um, the actors, which means that, you know, they can do other things. And, Carlos Cota, who is the showrunner, has another show now. So I'm not. I'm. I don't think Dusk is coming back, and I don't know what's going to happen with El Rey. But um. But yeah, there are these opportunities that are coming up, and even though if El Rey works or not doesn't work, it's still it's an exciting kind of idea for a filmmaker to be you know in charge of a network. You know, and I I don't know how. I don't know because I I know some people who have worked. Yeah, I worked. I worked with El Rey. You know, on Dusk and. We had a couple of shows in development with them that fell apart, and then we had I've had some people who worked on the marketing side, and uh, you know they definitely had some growing pains. But it's you know it's a great idea for a network, and I hope it succeeds. Uh, I don't I don't know what it's I don't know what they're doing right now, whether they're doing new shows or what their model is. But um, you know it, it's it anytime you can kind of stir things up, man, mm-hmm. it's always kind of it's always a good thing. Not many times is that going to succeed, but. You know, you gotta you gotta hand it to you gotta kind of uh, you know admire them for for trying. You know, um, I, I, first of all, I want to thank you for taking this time. I, I I'm not sure if any of the stories that I've been hearing have been out there. I'm not sure what you've been talking about has been mentioned. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> this know. is I mean, revealing maybe, and it's great. I'm just trying to be honest. And, and I think we're that's all exactly what this podcast yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is focused on. It's just letting these people. I, I found the story extremely inspiring. Everything that you had to say because it's it's no different than what we've been experiencing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, man, it's not easy, you know. And, right. and, and, and even like you know, like huge filmmakers, you know, David Fincher and you know Christopher Nolan and all these guys, like. I mean, you know, they, they have great careers, but you don't know. There's a lot of other things that you don't know what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think of poor Tony Scott. Yeah, as an Tony, example. yeah. Look at yeah. Tony Scott, and His you know, you're like, oh my god, he's a great filmmaker, and he's at the top of the world, and then he kills himself, you know. Yeah. Um, so you never know, and 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 you know, so, so for me, it's like there's always this. Um, kind of ultimate alternate life that I live like I'm like you know if, if I had you know not gotten you know or at least I had gone to LA and like played the Hollywood game and done this and done that like where would I be like would I be you know would I have more money than I have now would I be more successful would I be bankrupt would, I be, would I be dead would I have a you know a heroin problem you know like you know what would happen you know what you'd be you know, managing Target yeah maybe you know so <laughs> So, you know, you so there's always this alternate reality that I have of like, wow, you know, maybe I could have done that, but it didn't happen that way. And, you know, to a certain extent, like I see, you know, it's it's hard work to be to be a filmmaker in general, you know, and it helps when you're, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars to direct films. But at the same time, they're they're dealing with the same pressures and they're dealing with time away from their families and they're dealing with press tours. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to be you know, a David Fincher or a J.J. Abrams. I mean, that's a lot of work to be that, you know, the, the, basically the head of a, of a, of, of a brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think sometimes I fantasize about that, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I kind of like living in Urbana and I kind of like having this ridiculous Star Wars museum in my basement. I like having, <laughs> having three kids that don't live in L.A. and, you know, or having, you know, they have the teenage angst but aren't, don't have to deal with like the LA shit and yeah. you know whatever I mean I, I you know you, you, your you know your life is what it is so uh, and you know and, and right now you know I'm 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 fine you know I, I uh, you know I have like I said I'm in a good place but it's always hard man and and, and and you know especially when you're not making any money at all it's really difficult to make to make films and that's why you know you, that's what separates the I guess you know the men from the boys to use you know an old yeah. term. Uh, or the girls from the women is the idea that like you know 
it's hard, man. Even after you have a little bit of success, it's hard, you know. And especially for guys like you guys who are trying to scrape your money together, you don't have a brand like I do, because your film gets lost, and not only gets lost, but it gets stolen. Yeah, hell yeah, nowadays. And yeah. Um, and that really is, you know, it's just, you know, I, I just feel really, you know, it's, that's why I try to help, you know, indie filmmakers as much as I can because I'm like, you know, the, the odds are just so against anything happening and there and also I get energy from you guys man like you know like you guys love what you're doing and a lot of times I you know you just lose when you know you're when you start making a living even if it's your dream job mm -hmm. you're making a living so you have to deal with you know all the lawyering and the contracts and the taxes and you know the travel and you have to deal with all that stuff so you know it's not the easiest thing in the world but you know I, I feel very honored that I'm making a living so you just, just tackle that on the fact that you're doing all that stuff and not getting paid it's just a you, you know you gotta admire the, the energy that you guys bring to, to, to filmmaking and know? I guess the bottom line is none of us would do it if we didn't if you don't love, love it. it if yeah. you didn't love it yeah, yeah. exactly and you know and, and when we're like and we're stupid sometimes yeah. you, know, you feel yourself like why the hell am I doing this and why <laughs> Or you go to you know and you, and you or you realize how much competition there is mm -hmm. you know like the oversaturation of the, yeah the like industry, back yeah. yeah like back when I started like when I did I did a movie uh, I did uh, you know VHS a movie shot on VHS called Video Wall when I was at Montgomery College and you know I was like 19 years old uh, and that was a feature and then I did Gabriel's Dream and then you know back then there was nobody was doing that like I scraped my money together it was just this is before I think before Clark when was Clark's ninety. 95? Yeah, it was before Clerks. And, um, you know, Spike Lee had already done She's Gotta Have It, I think. And so that was kind of my inspiration, you know. But there was no, you know, there was no YouTube. There was no digital film. So you had to find a way to make, to buy this film stock and, to, and to process it yeah. and all that stuff. And I'm glad we never had to experience yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a pain in the ass. But it did have, like, this level of, like, only really serious people who had access to a little bit of money and had access to people who were going to, you know, like real, only the serious, really, filmmakers were making, because it would cost a lot of money. And man. you had to understand how to use a camera. And you had the to, video era. Yes. Before the turn, you know, yeah. uh, plug and play. Yeah, <laughs> you, had, you had to trust that you knew enough to expose film. And, you know, on Gabriel's Dream, we had, you know, we didn't have any money to process the footage until later, so. Is it 16 millimeters? Yeah, so you're literally shooting... Fingers and then crossed. fingers crossed that you got everything right, and then a month later you're like, "Oh my god, that that's overexposed," <laughs> you know, or or that was that sucked. We, the, we got a the bump. Shot, there's whatever. a bump in the yeah, or a boom or whatever. <laughs> that's man, what know? we talked about that in one of our uh, podcasts earlier. Was that uh, we played the quote from Francis Coppola from Heart of Hearts of Darkness. Where he says, my dream is that someday, you know, uh, the filmmaking will be accessible to everyone. Yes. And some little girl will be able to make a beautiful movie. And and that's that's my fantasy. And we're there. Yeah. Anybody that wants to can make yes. a movie. Well, and also you, you, have a, you have the ability now to actually distribute your film. And not, I'm not even talking about not even iTunes, but you can put your movie up on Vimeo or YouTube. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not you're not going to make any money unless it's like... Some, a little uh, bit, you know, a couple of pennies here and there. On yeah, the ads, yeah. But. Unless yeah. unless something huge happens and you know it goes it, viral, it goes viral and it's just a masterpiece or whatever. But by that time, if it was a masterpiece, the if the, if, the, if the studios could have made money off of it, they would have already picked it up. They would yeah, already yeah, picked yeah, it yeah. up. So you're kind of in this situation. And obviously, sometimes you release a film and that the you know the studios all turn down and it, it's successful. You know, I mean, the, the studios aren't you know the the arbiters of, of good taste or, or, or profitability they don't they don't know as much as, as they seem to know they seem that they think they know they know a lot less than they think they yeah, know I mean and, and, and you know and it's all it's all just alchemy it's just a magic you know yeah. it's just you know you, making a good movie is really hard even if you have the best actors and the best technical people and the best writers and the best directors and you know best special effects it's still really difficult to make a good coherent film you know and um you know, so so you know, you know, for, for me, it's like just it's, just gotta keep learning and you know, and and keep doing it and and see what happens. You know, yeah. the downfall of the collaborative process. Well, don't forget the, the the final element is the audience, and I mean, however brilliant your movie may be, look at Blade Runner. If the audience isn't receptive to it at that time, yeah, then you know, yes. maybe years. Well, before I, I, Citizen yeah. Kane, for that matter. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and also you and you look at all these films and like Oscar, like you know, the Oscar, the Best Picture is like a, a great litmus test for that is like the idea that like a lot of the best picture winners are 
kind of forgotten movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. you know, you're like, well, like the you know, and, and I, I like the movie. Like remember the artist? Like the artist just yeah, completely I mean, the, the no, silent movie. Yeah, nobody. I mean, you know, and they won Best Picture, um, and everybody was surprised or whatever. But you know, you look at the other films that were nominated. You're like, there's a lot of other films that like get are more are are more famous. It's the same thing with you know you look at all the nominees from the 70s and 80s and it's like most of the time the best picture does not go to the film that like really makes an impact mm-hmm. a lot, and like you said Blade Runner and it just depends on when they're releasing the movie a lot of these movies come out and they don't do anything and then people discover them later and all of a sudden oh my god it's a classic but yeah. no it made nothing I mean Blade Runner had no reception yeah, what's I mean, Shawshank Redemption people it's you know listed as like number two classic yeah. film of all time but yeah. when it was released nobody gave no, a shit no yeah 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 because you know it's who the hell's going to see a movie about in a prison yeah you know, <laughs> prison, about yeah. a bunch of guys in a prison you yeah. know like you know there's a certain so so yeah there's certain there's certain things that are uh, and that's what i love about tv and the digital streaming and stuff is that now you can get your film out there and even if you don't you know you don't the studios don't come calling you know if you're clever and like you guys you know you guys are you know you guys are doing what you need to do man to get the word out there to just kind of get bring more exposure to your stuff and to other people's stuff and to your film it's only going to help so, you know, it's just, uh, it's you know, you just got to keep working at it, man. We talked about, in one of our podcasts, we talked about the trick that these two fellas did for uh, Clown, for Eli Roth's film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I forget their last names now. Ford and, and, I forget Chris's last name, but they created this trailer, and in the trailer they said a new Eli Roth film, and Eli Roth caught wind of it. Eli Roth presents, hiring them to write yeah. the daggone screenplay for the movie Clown. Oh, really? So, yeah, brilliant. I they, mean, just they, absolutely Yeah, they put brilliant. the trailer together and put it on YouTube, and the, the trailer said, Eli Roth presents, and right. of course he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but when he saw it, he was like, Oh, that's great! And he let, you know, because yeah. they, they ran the risk. It was fifty-fifty. Either he'd sue them, or <laughs> well, I mean, but, but you know, that risk is basically he'll, you know, the lawyers will Shut send you down. a letter and say, "Can you take this, Cease take this off yeah. YouTube, yeah. and you take it off?" And you know, they're not going to bother you with that. But yeah, I mean, look, it you, you got to work it, man. Yeah. You yeah. got to work it, man. And, and a lot of those, and like like a lot of the people that, um, you know, like like a lot of those guys, these young people that like do this little short film on YouTube and it just happens to have like crazy effects and the, the next thing they do they're, they're, they're like directing you know some TV hundred show, million yeah. dollar Hollywood film, yeah. films you know um, so you know you never know man and, and there's still like you know you know multiple ways to get you know to, to get into the business um, you know like you said man at the beginning of it everything's kind of changing and mixing up and it's it's just hard to find your niche because once you find it you a year later it's gone and you have yeah, to find yeah, a new yeah. one you know yeah. so how important is it to still have connections like say you know okay you made a great movie who's going to see it that's going to get you into netflix I mean, or whatever i mean it's important you know i mean like i said unless your movie is like you know just does it on its own and there's very few movies that like come out and people you know are talking about them and like everybody's anxious to see them you know it's just it's very difficult to kind of come out even at even at, at a sundance you know you still got to work it you know but what was the question i'm sorry I lost it. <laughs> connections <laughs> can't remember oh yeah, the con- but yeah man, I mean, it, it helps it helps to like just have you know just have somebody that has some kind of success look at it or at least you know give you their opinion and and a lot of times it's just you know, for moral support. Yeah. Or sometimes it just kick you in the ass and say, look, dude, your film is terrible. It's yeah, not, you know, right it's not again. terrible, but it's never going to sell your, you know, the market is wrong. You didn't, you know, you don't have any tits. You don't have any, you know, whatever it is that the, that the yeah. person <laughs> that with connection is going to tell you. Yeah. Go back and practice. The yeah. And continue to do yeah. That. So, um, but yeah, it's a very important because, you know, like, you know, like for, for me, it's like, you know, I'm at this level where like, I'm not an A-list director. Um, and I'm not making, you know, millions of dollars a year, um, but I'm making a living and I still get to do TV shows and a movie occasionally. Um, I have access to anybody. I mean, you know, like I could get a meeting with anybody if I really wanted to, but you know, so, but, 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 but still just because you can get a meeting doesn't mean like you better bring something yeah. that's going right, to, right. you know, you're not just going to get, you Tickle know, their fans. Yeah, Hey, what's up? I just yeah. wanted to meet you. No, you got, <laughs> you got to come with, you know, the goods. Um, so, you know, it's still... So guys, yeah, it, it always busy. helps. Yeah, yeah, they, it yeah. always helps, and and also like I think that you know you never know where your uh, where your film might end up. You know, and, and that's been the theme of our 
of our podcast. Of your adventure? Which is, which you can, yeah. Well, specifically of the podcast, of our adventure as well, but of the podcast, which is, you, you know, get your film made, get it out there. And we, we brought up, uh, in one of our earlier podcasts, we brought up Colin Trevorrow, who's the guy that directed Jurassic World, mm-hmm. who on IMDb, uh, you know, had uh, one short, one TV show. One, I mean, he had one small independent feature under his belt, and the next thing you know, he's in Spielberg's office. But it, if it wasn't for Brad Bird of Pixar seeing Safety Not Guaranteed mm-hmm. in a hotel room somewhere and then suggesting, I think you should check this film out, yeah, Kathleen yeah. Kennedy and Frank Marshall never would have suggested to Spielberg that he meet with this guy. So right, right. it's all about get the project done, you know, get, pursue your passion, you know, don't let... And that's why I've enjoyed this conversation because... As revealing as it was, there's going to be a lot of people who hear this stuff and go, God, it's, it's just not easy all around. Why am I complaining? You know what I mean? Yeah. You just got to put yeah. your nose to the grindstone yeah. and get shit done. And do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, thank you very, yes. very much. Thank you, thank you, thank for you. For all the uh, the time and encouragement. No, it was fun, man. Yeah. Anytime. Thank yeah. you very much. No, this, man, that was revealing and, and exactly. Thanks for coming out, guys. Better than I had hoped for. I mean, that was